United States Institute of Peace, along with Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124, now present their weekly podcast. Joining us now is Carla Freeman, a senior expert for the China program at the United States Institute of Peace. She specializes in China's foreign policy, China and non-traditional security issues, as well as U.S.-China relations. She joins us now. Carla, welcome and good morning. How are you? I'm well. Good morning to you and thank you for having me. I'm glad that you're here. Thank you so much. There's been a lot happening, particularly with that 10-year anniversary of China's Belt and Road Initiative. It was celebrated just last week in Beijing. More than 120 countries' representatives were attending, including one Vladimir Putin. Just give us some background on how um, and how this Belt and Road Initiative has evolved over the last decade. Yeah, as you say, uh, it was a big gathering in Beijing, and it's the third uh, such gathering. Uh, the uh, The initiative itself was launched in 2013 by Xi Jinping as a signature initiative, and it has changed a lot. When he rolled it out, it was it was vague, uh, and no one knew what would come of it. It's still quite vague. Uh, it turns out it's a kind of branding exercise for China, but it has yielded a lot of projects all over the world, infrastructure projects principally, uh, that allow China to export its infrastructure capabilities. Uh, if I go back to 2013, when, when Xi Jinping rolled it out, uh, the BRI was in many ways a response to uh, the fact that China had overcapacity in infrastructure, partly as a result of uh, the uh, global financial crisis, when China had poured a lot of its of stimulus into building out uh, China's own infrastructure, and it needed somewhere to take that. Uh, China also was really worried at the time about uh, the pivot to Asia that the Obama administration had, had uh, launched. And so uh, looking uh, out to other countries and reaching out through a major uh, program like this, uh, especially one that included uh, land-based infrastructure, train systems and, and bridges and new roads, uh, was a way for China to reach from its, instead of going out to, its, uh, th- to the oceans, uh, to its uh, eastern coast, to well- reach westward uh, toward Europe, even a major trading partner. And so uh, it was a, a, a very ambitious project, one that uh, has now uh, given China a diplomatic footprint uh, all over the world. Uh, and as you say, over 120 countries, maybe 130 countries in Beijing uh, and and really uh, been quite a success for China, particularly in among developing countries. So when this ha- I mean, the United States, what is the position in terms of what the impact can be for the U.S.? Yeah, it's raised a lot of questions. I mean, from the United States perspective, this isn't just an economic uh, initiative. Uh, this is also it also has uh, geostrategic repercussions. The The Belt and Road Initiative originally was the One Belt, One Road. And the uh, One Belt uh, refers to uh, all of these uh, these land based infrastructure systems that China uh, has proposed developing uh, through partnerships with countries all over the world. And, and the road, oddly, is, is actually a maritime silk road, in, as, as it's also called, with a lot of ports around the world. Uh, and so from the U.S. perspective, this One Belt, One Road had geostrategic implications because uh, it, it marked a major expansion of China's influence and also 
a physical uh, presence in countries around the world uh, and uh, in working with some countries that uh, that the United States uh, has been concerned about. Uh, uh, not it's we're not just uh, talking about Russia, but other countries around the world where where uh, the U.S. Uh, the U.S. has uh, has concerns because of their own their security activities, and also countries where China, where the United States has historically exercised greater influence. Uh, so you know the fact that that suddenly uh, China's building a port uh, or helping to finance the port of Piraeus in Greece. That was concerning to the United States, uh, and and we can look at other examples around the world. Clearly, this has is here to stay. I mean, it's been seems to be now enshrined in China's um, CCP constitution and is considered a linchpin in Xi's foreign policy. But are there any headwinds? I mean, is there any stopping if it needs to be? Yes, I mean, first of all, you have a, a Chinese economy that's just not doing as well as it was. It's it's uh, it's facing significant challenges, uh, and uh, and countries around the world are also not able to to uh, handle the kind of debt that uh, that doing these projects requires them to take on. So, uh, what Xi Jinping has proposed in this latest meeting is that uh, that. Uh, not only that China exercise a lot more uh, caution and in doing investments, so uh, there'll be a push for uh, for uh, you know greater oversight of some of these projects, but also that uh, they are uh, more focused on on uh, soft infrastructure, uh, digital infrastructure, for example, and also that uh, that the the kinds of infrastructure projects are more modest in scale. So the new mantra is going to be "small is beautiful" for the BRI going forward. Nonetheless, she has put a a lot of money, another hundred billion or so, uh, down on the table for the BRI. So it's definitely here to stay. I mean, they—it sounds like, <clears throat> from what you're saying, China has less capital to lend for one uh, for one issue, and then economic and security strains for another. But has have they faced a lot of scrutiny in these first ten years? And will there be more later? Well, yes, I think I think you're going to see more scrutiny because you've had ten years. It was a lot of a lot of hype, a lot of build up, a lot of excitement uh, because there were just enough signature projects built that that uh, countries got excited about this. There's a huge uh, infrastructure uh, gap to be filled in uh, developing countries uh, all over the world. Uh, and so uh, countries were eager to have China's uh, cap- capability. I mean, China is very good at building roads, very good at building high-speed trains and, and uh, other infrastructure. We're very eager to participate uh, in these uh, in a BRI project or other, other, uh, uh, other infrastructure uh, project because not all of them fall under, under BRI uh, involving China. And, uh, but now uh, a lot of these countries are saddled with immense debt and are having challenges repaying that debt. Uh, also, they faced uh, problems with uh, forced resettlement of populations uh, with often uh, consequences for the stability of their countries. Uh, environmental degradation has been associated with a lot of these projects. And so uh, the, uh, the, the, now that the hype is over, it's, uh, there's a lot, more, uh, a lot more international scrutiny. Also, a lot of other uh, countries have gotten into the infrastructure game. Uh, the G7 has, the, uh, has its own infrastructure plan. Uh, the U.S. has uh, a blue dot network that is designed to, to help ensure that countries' uh, infrastructure projects are, are, are meeting high standards. The Japanese have one. Europeans have their own. And so there's a lot more competition as well, which one hopes will push uh, standards, uh, even uh, those uh, projects uh, 
uh, built under the Belt and Road uh, higher. This is really, really helpful to get your perspective and insight in all of this. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. And uh, yes, we all should watch the Belt and Road going forward. It's We'll see what happens over the next 10 years. Oh, we certainly will. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thanks. This podcast has been brought to you by the United States Institute of Peace and Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124.